What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. Mainly <laughs> <laughs> fall fishing. Talk the thing is, sometimes unprepared makes for the better shows, right? I agree. It can. It can. Well, let's just jump into it and see how it goes. I'm Chase Winnaker, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone's uh, enjoying this wonderful weather, because it's great. And today's guest, Dave Baker. Hey, glad to be back, guys. You got to tell us which Dave Baker you are and what you do. <laughs> well, I'm the Dave Baker down in the fisheries division, so I'm fisheries biologist for the Central Fisheries District. So basically, we oversee fisheries management activities uh, pretty much from Louisville, Lexington, up into northern Kentucky is kind of the area we cover. So. Give me a few of your main water bodies that so, you hit. So our, our big lakes for our area would be Harrington, Taylorsville Lake, and Giss Creek Lake. Some of our smaller lakes that we're responsible for include things going up 75 like Corinth, Bolts, Bullock. Uh, down Anderson County, we have Beaver Lake. And a lot of other small lakes um, that we have management agreements with, so we we cover a pretty big area and have a lot of a lot of different lakes that we get to to do stuff on. And I, I know you told me just a few minutes ago that you are actually heading out onto one of those lakes this afternoon, Harrington, to do some work. And I would like to kind of know what you guys are working on right now and what what exactly you're doing and why. But also, and I know Lee wants to talk about the same thing as fall fishing because mm -hmm. fall fishing's here. Yes, it is. And uh, I feel like fall fishing is kind of a blind spot for me, and I hate to admit it, but it kind no, of... it's deer hunting time. Well, that's the thing, you know, like in the... I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the spring and the summer because I keep my fishing poles and all my... Time. Lee's seen. I stopped to talk to Lee on my way out, mm -hmm. and I'm looking through three or four fishing poles <laughs> to try to make eye contact. <laughs> but this time of year, my fishing poles are in the basement, and it's, my car is full of hunting stuff. And that's how it's been for my whole life, you know? So I kind of always miss a little bit of September and early October where I'm not fishing every every week, multiple times a week like I am. So I hear great things about it. I enjoy it when I can go. But I'd like to know more about fall fishing uh, and kind of why it's good. So, Well, that's been the reason I've had a hard time getting into hunting is because fall the fishing. fishing in the fall gets so good that yeah. I can't convince myself to be in a, in a deer stand or in the woods. I actually want to be on the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, so, yeah, it's always been my thing. I and I'll be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into hunting, I'm going to get in hunting, and, and I would go uh, through college, and I'd go deer hunting and try some small game stuff, and the, the whole time I was out there going, why am I not on the lake? That's tough, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's a good dilemma, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's oh, what it is. Lee, there's got to be some, <clears throat> some saying about having too many good options. I know there's, there's some old saying that you would probably know that I wouldn't about <laughs> Just having too many things to choose from. But there is a saying. Let me let me work on it. So, <laughs> but, oh, <clears throat> a bountiful of riches. A bounty of riches, what they used to say. I have a bounty of riches. I can't decide which one I want to do. Yeah, but, I, I'm, I'm torn up because I have a bounty of riches. Well, you know, I, I know that the smallmouth gets really good this time of year in the streams. And if I was going fall fishing, it'd probably be either that or the muskie. But then again, I also hear about a white bass run and a hybrid run that takes place in the fall mm -hmm. and that is underutilized but you know in some places just as good as it is in the spring run and things like that so i would like to know more about more about what's going on fishing wise let's just start there let's start with the good stuff and then not that what you all are working on right now is yeah that's good not stuff. the fun yeah but it's not as much fun yeah i'd rather know how to catch the fish <laughs> so what are you going running. after at harrington we're starting our, our fall bass sampling okay so large mouths yes large, <clears throat> large well black bass so mainly mainly large mouth but spotted bass also but yeah so um, I will say this: I've been out fishing here a couple of times in the last week, and uh, we're we're definitely not to fall fishing yet on our lakes. Yeah, okay. that's what I'm. It's it's still it's still it's still early. Okay. The air temperature makes us feel like it is. Yeah, you get up, it's yeah. 
it's cool in the morning. You're like, oh, it's it's on. It feels good. Yeah. The lake temperatures just haven't they haven't dropped at all. They right? haven't dropped. I mean, we we're still seeing our lake temperatures in the upper 70s. They have come down out of the 80s at least. So it's it's improving. But yeah, fall fish on the reservoirs is it's it's getting there, but it's not there yet. But yeah. I would actually. If I was going to go right now, I would actually go stream fishing. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. that's a good tip. And it, to kind of feed into what you're saying, last week I did exactly what you're talking about, and I felt that, you know, oh, it's in the f- high 50s in the morning and the highs getting into the 70s. It's got to be time. Right. And so uh, Chad and the guys went out on Cave Run for muskie. I was thinking that, hey, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of cold days in a row, <coughs> those muskie might be back in those creeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they got in the parking lot that morning, there was one boat there, and it was a crappie boat. That's a bad sign. That's yeah. a bad sign. Yeah. <laughs> That's a and really bad sign. Kevin but, said, yeah, they went to Zilpo Flats, no boats. It's some of the p- p- spots that should be crowded this time of year had no boats. It's yeah. part sunk. Well, I think I think a lot of people this weekend got excited. You know, like, you know, you had some cool mornings mm-hmm. because um, I was at Corinth Lake. Parking lot was completely packed. Yeah. Talked to some gentlemen there that actually had come from Williamstown Lake. And the reason they were at Corinth is because they couldn't find a parking spot. So I think everybody was really going, hey, we're, it's cooling down. These fish are going to be turned on. Hey, I'm happy but to th- see it, though. Th- that's one of the things is, why you know, why do largemouth bass stay in their summer pattern longer than people realize? That's Everybody gets in this time of year, September, and they think, well, the largemouth are just going to flush the, run the bank, and it's wonderful. But they stay in their summer pattern a lot longer than people realize. They are 100% still in their summer pattern. You know, um, I, I think... A couple things, especially if you're talking about reservoirs that you're going to run into, is that, one, we're just now starting to approach where we do our fall turnover. Our fall turnover typically puts these fish in a funk. You're going to mm-hmm. have to explain. I, I know what you mean, but it makes – I hadn't even thought about a fall-specific turnover. So so, so. so typically our, our big reservoirs in our small state on lakes, typically the turnover is when that colder, unoxygenated water on the bottom starts to mix with that warmer – uh, oxygenated water so you got this mixing well it's the way i like to think about it is there's a lot more of that cold unoxygenated water than there is oxygenated water so when they mix you actually your oxygen levels will drop yeah. in the lake this b- puts stress on our fish it's a naturally occurring thing happens every year typically you, the, what you want to do is occur over several weeks it's a slow process mm-hmm. um a lot of times anglers can kind of be get tipped off about it is when they get to the lake, if they start seeing, wow, this water's a lot darker than normal. It's got a black color. Sometimes it even has an odor to it. It'll mm-hmm. have that rotten egg smell. Mm-hmm. So those are good indications. But, again, it stresses the fish out, and they have to get through that turnover before that really hot and heavy fall fishing bite turns on. Is that one reason for the good hot and heavy fall fishing bites? Because they go a couple weeks there with low mm-hmm. oxygen and low activity, and then when they finally get the oxygen back, they're feeling good, it's time to eat. And th- then it's time to put the feed bags on because winter's coming. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, then it, then it just gets nuts. So you're looking late October when this starts to, when you're starting to get into that? Yeah, depends on the size of the lake, too. The bigger the lake, the later the turnover, correct? Right. So the bigger the <clears throat> volume of water you're trying to turn over, obviously it takes longer. So Harrington w- takes the longest for us. Um, you know, you go to like a one of our 80-acre lakes, a Benji Kinman that's, you know, 80-some acres. It's relatively shallow in comparison to the other lakes. It happens a lot quicker. So, again, it's driven by weather conditions, the, the air temperature, wind, if we have a big rain or one of these tropical storms that come up and dump a ton of water, that can really speed up the process. 
typically in a generalized sense, starting into September through mid-October is typically when that turnover is kind of at its prime. So they can get tough. That's why I was like, the streams are on fire right now. Mm-hmm. So, so I was just thinking. So the streams, you know, they don't they don't have a thermocline. That's correct. Because nope. the water's constantly churning and moving, and it's going through riffles. It's getting constant oxygen added, and you know, like like you're talking about on the lake. I feel like every time we talk about thermocline, it's good to reiterate what what we're talking about. So you know, when you jump off a boat and your feet go down in the water a little bit and you hit hit cold water and you're like oh it's cold down mm-hmm. there that well that's the thermocline right and that's just like literally a hard line at a certain level in the lake in which the you got a, a hot water on top and cold water on the bottom and there's no oxygen in that cold water and that's the reason right. it's a for the temperature difference well what you're talking about is the, the air temperature cooling down the surface water so, and as it cools it starts dropping you know colder drops. colder water is more dense it sinks to that thermal climb yep. once it starts matching that <clears throat> bottom layer that's when you really start getting that mixing to yeah. occur so. so that's what you want but that can't happen in a creek obviously because the water's, right. water's not sitting so that's why you're saying because we don't have to worry about that low oxygen level um in a creek and they're still getting cooler water temperatures the temperature's still dropping they're going to go ahead and start packing on fat and that's mm-hmm. the thing is is the creeks are running several degrees cooler than our lakes mm-hmm. so so the creek fish are actually several weeks ahead yeah, of yes. where yeah. our lakes are at so those fish are already going hey it's cooling down we better start feeding up and and they have i've been getting some phenomenal reports that's what from i was going to say i've seen I a lot of too, people but the elkhorn is low Man, 53 CFS on it's, You know, those fish are still there. Yeah. That's one old thing I always say. They're in there somewhere. Mm. They're, 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 they're a little spookier because yeah. it's slow and it's and really hard to really hard to float because yeah. be, it'll be more of a You wade fish. The thing, I, the thing about <clears throat> fall fishing that's kind of fun to me, and like I say, I haven't done a whole lot of it this time of year, um, I see more people throwing topwater. I see more people mm-hmm. running crankbaits and rapalas. And some of those, you know, baits with a little bit more action, and that are maybe a little bit more fun to throw. Because I'll be honest with you, it's fun working a, a little plastic crawfish or, mm-hmm. or a worm or a Senko on the bottom and catching fish. But if you can run a crankbait or you can run top, top water, water, that's about as... I People mean, don't realize September's a great top water month. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So why is September such a great top water or moving bait month? Is it just that they're being more aggressive or is there something else there? No, I just think it's because your fish are just a lot more active. They're more more willing to eat. Like you said, they're they're, yeah. they're trying to put on those fat reserves and make it through the winter. So... Tip, typically, I mean, we get to October. I mean, even on our lakes, November November is awesome. It starts the air temperature starts getting unco- a little uncomfortable. It's some some years here lately, not so much. But mm-hmm. uh, typically, November is one of the best times I think to be on our our small lakes. You're past the you're past the turnover. Uh, the water's typically still in the fifties, uh, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's game on. And like you said. I'm not saying you can't go out there and throw something moving slow, but it's kind of fun because you can go through a moving base and just cover a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these fish will suspend. What I like about it is you get a little bit of wind on the water, and these fish will just stack on these windblown points. And you can just sit in one spot and, and just catch them. Just catch them on the windblown points on the main legs. Mm-hmm. I'm still one. I, I'd kind of like to talk more, a little bit more stream. Um, we're kind of bouncing stream to lake, stream to lake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're just too excited <laughs> to stay <laughs> on top. I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and say that stream fishing would probably be better right now, but the lakes are going to get really hot here in a couple weeks, potentially. I would say the lakes will probably hit hit stride probably 
probably mid-October through November okay. is when I, I see them hitting their prime. But right now, the streams are good. Mm, no doubt. Do you, do you know a whole lot of – I mean, water levels considered, because like Lee said, Elkhorn's a little low. Some of the some of the streams are running a little bit better, especially the ones that are reservoir-controlled. Like, mm-hmm. I looked at Green River. Uh, I was thinking I, fl- about, I went over it the other day. It's beautiful. I was thinking about going on a trip this weekend. It was 154 was the release. And oh, really? One, they were 58 the other day. 154 that is pretty is good. That is perfect. So, I mean, I would look at the ones like Licking below Cave Run or Green River below the lake or Barron or, you know, Rough, uh, Nolan. There's a lot of streams that are reservoir controlled that might have good flows even if we haven't had much rain recently. And the nice thing with, with those streams are with the reservoir control is that we're still we're still several weeks from them starting to actually do their big drawdown and, and, and flush the river. So, yeah. I mean, the next two, three weeks would probably be ideal for those mm-hmm. places you mm-hmm. just mentioned. Okay, so I need to go fishing soon. I got to be strong and put the hunting stuff down for a day and go. I went to Russell Creek on Thursday. And yeah, I want to hear about it. that. We're going to float it again on Wednesday. Did y'all do pretty good? Um, we didn't try and I caught 10. Um, That's pretty good. Not really trying. We mainly were there to make sure the accesses were good and uh, get some photos for Rick. I hope he found enough inspiration. He may be painting a cover of the magazine based on what he took the other day. Just to remind people, you do the Blue Water Trails series. Yes. And that's what you're talking about. So you literally, on our website, there's a page called Blue Water Trails, and it has all these different floats, and they're ones that you personally have gone to, and you've said, okay, this access site is here, and it's good. Yes. Check. And, okay, I'm going to go make sure this. Ac- and so you have done the legwork to make sure all these access sites are good. Work. You floated the stream and you've taken notes as you've gone to pick out, you know, landmarks or structures or where the fishing might be better. Look for this by a low stress, high fun experience is what we're up. For example, there's a book and I'm not trying to denigrate anybody called the Canoeing and Kayaking Guide uh, to the Streams of Kentucky. Well, that was put out quite a bit ago. And two of the accesses they said were accesses at bridge points are not accesses. They have signs, no parking. That's not an access. Yeah. Um, so, but a lot of these guidebooks will mark bridges just as general as access. I go and ground proof them because I want people to not be stressed when they get there and go, I can't park anywhere. Uh, there's no parking signs. And what see, am I going to do? And see, I think that's important because, I mean, I used to work on the stream. Mm-hmm. Worked, oh, with you, you, you worked with you on the Blue Water Trails just trying to find access site, sites and whatnot. And that's the <clears> thing that's <throat> there. It's, you got to kind of, ground truth them and go see them mm-hmm. yourself because it's not like one of our lakes where you go build a concrete boat ramp and you know it's never going to change it's going to be yeah. there for the eternity of the lake mm-hmm. the problem with some of these access sites is they change mm-hmm. landowner buys it or something right happens so ownership they, uh things happen or the county think, gets complaints and they shut it off and right you know. or, and and then new sites do get developed because of popularity of a stream or a bridge project goes in and they they accommodate paddlers so uh, i know we've went I went and looked at them, and it's like, man, this is a great access. And then we get a call, and they're like, "What happened?" And then you go look at it, and you're like, "This isn't, this isn't right." So, mm-hmm. I think it is important we're ground truthing them and giving people that really good information. Yeah, it I changes want to, too. Yes, it does change, and we we update the maps yeah. as often as. And now we've got some new people that's going to help me on the web end of it. Uh, Gary Sprandle and I worked for years together on the maps. He did a great job, and. You know, you get a call from, say, Eric Cummins, hey, man, I know we've got this place listed on Green River as an access, but that's that's mm-hmm. no longer true. Right. Um, something happened. 
yeah. and then we take it off. We did that with Elkhorn uh, two years ago when that VPA by Peaks Mill mm-hmm. closed. It we had to take that off the map, I believe, and then now it's open again. So well, I, the man uh, I can't blame him had a run in with some people who were using the access in a, what he thought was an improper manner, and he let them know his displeasure, and they uh, they smarted off to him and made him mad, and he shut it down for a while. Yeah. You know, if if you if you have the uh, gift of good access on our streams. Treat them with respect and treat the landowners around it with respect. Tread lightly. Don't light fires. Don't shoot guns. Don't act foolish. And just appreciate it. And because you'll lose them if you treat them wrong. With that, that trip you went on last <clears throat> last Thursday and you're going again this Wednesday mm-hmm. to work on that Blue Water Trail, that's Russell Creek, you said? Yes, sir. And so that's one that before too long will be available. And you, that's I've never have done that float. So I'll, I'll 100% get on there and check it out. But you'll have... Hey, these are where you can put in and take out. There's these two the, good floats. These are the links of your floats. These are the baits to consider. Think about these areas specifically. And if there's something like, a, I don't know if there is on that creek, but it, say you were doing one on Green River or on Elkhorn, you would make note of, hey, there's a low head dam here. This is mm-hmm. how you get out and go around it, this route. So mm-hmm. it's a really good, for somebody who's wanting to go somewhere and maybe explore new water or go somewhere and fish for the first time, I think they're great. Yeah. I mean, they're about as good as it gets as far as information on a float goes. And uh, they're really fun to do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm lucky I get paid to do this because I would do it for free. <laughs> I won't Don't tell, tell them my bosses, but I so do. So you'll do this for free. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> I said I would do it for free. I'll tell you, if, he was, doing it, to. if he was doing it for free, there'd be a lot more fish and a lot less note taking. That's true. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, it'd be a half the length of publications, but more pictures of fish, probably. No doubt. <laughs> so that's what you got going on this weekly. And I'm kind of jealous the, of that. The, the mouth of it is right there at the 61 Bridge on Green River. And that's a good spot if you do the float from the um, park there, Greensburg, the Armory Park, yeah. mm-hmm. and float around to the Green River Paddle Trails ramp. That's a nice little ramp, and you can drive down. Yeah. Uh, there's a shuttle service there where you can have people drop you off, and you float back to those little cabins. It's it's great. But that place right under the bridge, I've caught some nice smallmouths right there. That's well, actually, we had crews out on Green this week, this past week. Shocking. Shocking. And, you know, they come back with some pretty good reports. I think they said, you know, maybe one of their higher catch rates of, of bass. Um, they said they were seeing quite a few, eight, up to 18, 18, 20 inches. I, I, so, can, I can handle that. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. They came back saying this is what we saw, and I'm like, man, we got to go. Uh, guys, I think we talk about green too much on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We need to lay off that place. Get out of there and fish a little bit. <laughs> now, green, green's great. I would, you know, same thing, same reason I started going to green and I really enjoyed it was because it was somewhere new to me. And honestly, the traffic downstream isn't that bad. You get a lot of recreational floaters on green, but I don't, you know, there's a couple hardcore fishermen that you see out there. You but just don't see that many people fishing. Well, the thing is, paddling. you know, on Elkhorn, you get those recreational floaters and you get the hardcore fishermen, but there's this middle group, too, of people mm-hmm. who are kind of recreational float fishing. Mm-hmm. And on green, it seems like people are either just recreating or just fishing, and there's a little bit less of that in-between ground. I'm not sure why that is. But. I've put in behind a church group one day. They've, I mean, they dropped off 20 boats. We caught fish the whole float. You yep. know, that none. I didn't see a single fishing rod with that group. They were just out there enjoying themselves. I was down at Mammoth Cave doing some work, and I, I was like, I'm going to start asking people. I mean, we're seeing all these fish, and I was like, this is this just is just amazing. The scenery, the fish, and everything. And I was like, I'm going to ask these people. I see floating all day. I'm just going to say, Hey, do you have a fishing pole? You catch anything? And I think I talked to over a hundred different boats. You know, canoes, kayaks. 
and two of them had a fishing pole. Yeah. And I'm like, man, you're missing such a good opportunity. That doesn't happen on Elkhorn, though, does it? When you see yeah. boats go, if you saw 100 boats go down Elkhorn, 40 of them would have a fishing pole. Yeah. I've so I've done the similar thing on Elkhorn. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, I would say half of them, yeah. the, you know, a lot of them, the answer would be, well, we, we played around with it early, now we're just paddling. Yeah, it's almost like recreational but, fishing. But they, they did fish, and I was like, well, good for you. you know, good for you all. I mean, if you're going to be out enjoy it, enjoy all of it. Yeah, and green might, you know, compared to Elkhorn, it, I'm not going to say it's tougher to fish because I think you can do the exact same thing on green that you do on Elkhorn and have luck, but some of the fish species in green are tougher, like walleye. I mean, walleye, oh, yeah. and they take up part of that biomass, you know, and muskie. And those aren't necessarily mm-hmm. fish that you're just recreate like you know your people who don't take it serious are going to go out there and target and have a lot of luck with they're mainly but those rock bass are in green so thick. i was going to say there's a ton of rock bass here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. you accidentally catch those things i mean yeah you can catch them not even trying yeah no i, I love rock bass if i'm having a slow day on the water give me rock bass yeah, no know, doubt something i can depend on and, and really good to eat and i was going to say they're good table fare that's they? my problem they're really good to eat i've said this before the rock bass i never have actually kept them and ate them because i'll catch one on accident and then i'll catch mm-hmm. the second one third one and then after i've caught four or five i'm like you know it's time to start thinking about maybe keeping a few of these and then by that point it's too late because i'm halfway through my float yeah. and if i start putting them on a stringer i end up with five and i say well that's not you're like man i hate clean. to go home and clean five yeah, yeah you have to go into the float dedicated to keeping them yeah. from the oh, get-go oh it's a mindset yeah you got to go definitely into a mindset it. that i want to do this when we get done i want to yeah. go home and fully fish yeah, so I, I need to go into a float one day like that. Speaking of, you know, you're being from Central District Fisheries, I saw something on on the internet, which is always true. That, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'll probably put it out. Well, this one I actually, <laughs> this one I actually think is true, and it confirms something. I, I've, and I know I've said this on the podcast before, and I've said it for years, and I've always thought people thought I was crazy. But I swear I, I rose a muskie in Elkhorn one year. Yeah, it was probably four or five years ago. Oh, that, that's I would not doubt that at all. Yeah, yeah. we've that, we've actually sampled sampled muskie and elkhorn. I mean, caught, it's not common. Somebody caught one two weeks ago at one twenty seven bridge. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. That I mean, far down. Yeah. I mean, we stock them in the Kentucky River, and you're and talking they, about, and it makes sense for I them mean, to work up into cooler water and food rich right. environment. I, so I've I've always thought there should be more muskie up there. Right. But see, I never had seen one in one caught, and you know, you guys might shock them, but I was thinking down there around Stillwater, I know there's going to be muskie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But um, I know people have caught some nice ones in the mouth of Elkhorn and up to that first. We've you know, we, we've actually have some years we actually will get white bass will run up the creek. Well, I've, I've slayed in that lower part. Sauger. Sauger. We've had good I've caught sauger, too. So, yeah, I mean, you think of Elkhorn and your brain immediately goes to smallmouth. But I, but you got to think everything that's in the Kentucky River has the same opportunity to go up there. Yeah. Like you said, it's a food-rich environment. Why wouldn't you want to go? I saw somebody posted a picture, and they said, uh, can anyone ID this fish? Caught it in Elkhorn on Nightcrawlers. Not sure what it is. And I was like, that's a muskie. <laughs> How big? Was it a very good one? <laughs> probably 20, 20 inches. Okay. It looked like it was just a it few It was probably, yeah, it was probably a stalker from last year. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was the length where you almost could have thought the big chain pickerel or something. It was probably, right. you know, in that 18 to 22-inch range, something like that. But still, it was cool to see a muskie. And that isn't just true for elkhorn i mean you're talking about silver creek or paint lick or you, any, any of them. any creek that flows into the and you know a good one could be boone creek i would think down there near lexington oh i've mm-hmm. done i used to back when that campground was open right across the river right by remember the parrot garden salsley's parrot garden uh, restaurant there on old mm-hmm. on old 25 talking about they, under the high bridge yeah the, yeah they had uh well you know 75 is up there now proud mary's restaurant then you go across and you're in madison county there was a right. campground there and he'd let you launch 
paddle straight across Kentucky River and you're in the mouth of Boone Creek. Yeah, right. I've, um, one day we were down there, a guy had one of the biggest large mouse I've ever seen caught in Kentucky River, and we came back down. He took off running. He must have been illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying that thing, he just ran straight up that bank holding that fish and just took off when we came around the corner. But I've caught small mouse down there and some nice large mouse in there. And they stock uh, trout in Boone Creek, too. Mm -hmm. I was thinking if that muskie really wants a meal, he'd go up there and get one of those brown trout. No doubt. I always wondered why Dick's River wasn't full of muskie. Oh, I almost stepped on one in Dick's River. Though, really? Time. Yes. Because, I mean, I would think that they would be I got checked that day, too. Okay. And the people in front of us were using power bait. <laughs> All for a trout. Mm -hmm. Can't do yep, that. They, they, got, they got written up. Yep. So trout's another good one that's coming up right around the corner. Because I was earlier when we were talking about the fishing, you were talking about dates. You were talking, you know, I was trying to think of, because I do pick up fishing again more seriously after I kill my buck every year. Because that's like, pressure's on, got to get a buck, mm -hmm. got to get a buck, I'll hunt hard. Then once I get it, usually it's around October 15th, October 25th, then I'll start fishing again. So kind of November is when I jump back into it. And trout at Wolf Creek is, is one that you can go have some good luck with mm -hmm. at that time of year. And we've also gone down there and caught sturgeon before, which are kind of fun. I've, heard, I've that's cool. gotten a report that uh, the trout are on. Really? On In the tail That's water. cool. They're would, really on. I would like to... Well, I need to I need to be better at trout fishing. I'd like to know more about that. But we just covered something with uh, the fisheries crew here that dealt with sturgeon. So I said I'd gone down there and caught sturgeon at at Cumberland River before. Well, that's a fish that you know is is fun to catch, and you know I, it's hard to tell if we want people to go catch them or not because they're kind of a sensitive fish. So I thought maybe it'd be good to tell people how they can catch them, but also tell them why it's important to why we have the immediate release and why you know all that's in place and what we're doing. So give me your little quick rundown on the sturgeon situation, Dave. I know that's not in your region, but do you know much about them? I, I, I know enough to be dangerous. Okay. So, yeah, so they're they're part of a long-term uh, stocking effort to restore them. They were native to the Cumberland, Cumberland River, obviously through uh, sedimentation issues and impoundment mm -hmm. issues and things like that. It took away that their spawning habitat, didn't it? We, we lost spawning and therefore no spawning that population does did dwindle and, and went away. So we feel like there's some improvements that have happened in land uses and things like that that maybe um, these fish could be successful uh, once again. So the reason we have a no harvest is because this is a really long-lived fish. It takes them, you know, 10, 15 years to get to sexual maturity. So we're, us as an agency, we have a huge investment in this fish before we even know if this fish will even have the opportunity to spawn or if they even will successfully spawn. So that's why we're asking people, you know, if you do catch one, yeah. uh, I've heard some really good reports of people talking about how good they fight and one of the hardest fighting fish they've ever caught. That that's fine. Just just put it back. Um, we're not offering at this point because it is catch and release only. Uh, there's no harvest, so they're not eligible. One of the main yeah. questions we get: they're not eligible for our state record program and things. The like state that. record would have been caught. Yeah, here the a state weeks the state ago. record's been broke several times with this restoration. But because you can't harvest fish and take it from the water to have it certified, it's ineligible. Uh, it's ineligible. So. Um, Put the fish back, you know, obviously if you catch it, don't leave it out of the water, get you a quick picture, uh, get it back. But the idea is we need them to be there. We need them to be there for a, a really long time. It's a fish that can live over 100 years. So um, mm -hmm. so we're, we we don't really know what the, what the uh, future is for this stocking program. But They're obviously thriving. Cause now, I mean, I'll say this. Uh, our crews go out every year, sample for them, and we're collecting – 
actually collecting fish at a whole lot higher rate than I would have expected. So yeah. that means survival's really, really good mm-hmm. down there. And we're, we're tagging them every year so we know what year they were stocked by cutting those scoots off of those armored plates off of the side. And we're seeing all year classes represented in our samples. So that's all really positive. So everything to this point has been very, very positive. Again, it's not a fish that can tolerate um, harvest at this point. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's kind of tricky because you want to promote opportunity. And it is an opportunity. It is. Um, And it's kind of a, as long as you're willing to put the fish back immediately, you know, and not Mm -hmm. keep it on the bank forever, not take it home. You know, the way that their mouths work with those little suckers. It's a cool cool looking (laughs) fish. They are are crazy looking. I I feel like your, but your deep hook chances are fairly low with that fish compared to like, you know, a fish that just inhales a bait. Mm -hmm. Well, actually they do kind of literally inhale the bait, but they have these little sucker mouths that come But the way their mouths are, yeah, they don't get it. It's like a, Most of the time they're like just a little vacuum. Their, it's just in the in their in their lips. Yeah. You know, so yeah, they do they do release pretty good. And you know when you got a sturgeon too, because you'll be fighting fish and it will feel like you're just fighting a swimming rock, like it's stuck to the bottom. Huh. Like you know what I mean? It's like they're they're just staying down. Oh. And it, it, it it's kinda hard to explain. But if you if you hook into a fish down there on the Cumberland River and it feels like it does not want to get more than two inches off the bottom and it's, it's just sticking. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a huh. sturgeon because it's gonna be as deep we as we did a little be. piece in the magazine about that guy who caught the state right. record and he said he couldn't turn him forever and it fought and fought yeah. and fought and fought. He's like he thought he'd never get it in. Some of those ancient fish are some of the coolest we have. The paddlefish and the, the sturgeon, just to look at them. And I love I love good old bowfin. A lot of people call them grunt or dogfish. See, I've never caught one. I still need to catch a bowfin. They look like a dinosaur. When you I get them. That's a main fish, too. No, no, they are. Hey, they're talking about the bite? Yeah. yeah. I've heard that they, uh, that they have a heck of a bite on them. Yeah, they do. They're cool. Almost like a sculpin or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, now, we don't call our sculpin here sculpin. It's a grindle, right? Mm. Grindle. A lot of people call those grindle. Dogfish, yeah, yeah the they're, they're really they've got a lot of teeth. We do we we do have sculpin, but it's different than the fish you're talking about. The sculpin I'm talking about are saltwater. Yeah, okay. um, I've caught them off docks before, and they're one of those that you know they're the size of a they're tiny. They're like five mm-hmm. or six inches long, but if you stick your finger in its mouth, you feel like you just got cut, bit by. A, you know, a twenty-pound channel cat. Huh. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, they, that's a mean. That's a mean critter. I, I'm guessing that they bust uh, mussels and clams and shells open and stuff like that because their bite force is just ridiculous. Huh. If you catch a sturgeon, be careful of those scoots. A sure. friend of mine caught a nice one in a cast net getting striper bait, mm-hmm. um, getting Elwives and Shad to go striper, and they didn't know how to grab it. And he grabbed it and was going foop, 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 and hit poor Mormon in the leg, cut him. They had to go to the hospital and get it stitched up. Yeah, they're sharp. And he, they took pictures of them, and I sent it to Matt, and he said that's one of the biggest ones they've seen anybody uh, capture. Well, that's cool, though. That I mean, that's part of the thing that's cool about a sturgeon is looking at all those scoots. And why do you have armored plate all over your body? You know, it's like a... I mean, it's a tough fish, and then if you look at the other prehistoric fish, the paddlefish, why are your eyeballs located on the side of your nose? Like, I mean, it's just the rostrum. The rostrum's cool, and the location of the eyes is cool, and then when you really think about the fact that they don't have any bones in their body, yeah, that's that's cool, too. And I've watched a, a cleaning video on how to clean paddlefish. I've never never, never kept one. I've heard they are, but it looks like you just almost do it like a big tuna. You cut the tail off, mm-hmm. and then you cut the head off, and then you run a long, thin, like... Uh, um, rod through the spine from front to back and that breaks up that spinal matter and then you can just flush that out with a water hose and because there's no bones at that point you can just take a sharp knife or a 
you know, something and literally stake the, the fish whole all the way through. And you get these big, beautiful stakes that almost look like tuna steaks. The same awesome. guy caught one, foul hooked one, trolling for striper, trolling mm-hmm. live bait. And, uh, you know, it died, so we ate it. And, man, it was fine. That's one that's on my list to try. Oh, I would was, like to try I love fish. It. It's very, very, very light. Um, the, the, the meat has an excellent texture. It's not gamey at all. It was, I mean, it went quick. (laughs) Next time I get a paddlefish, as long as it's, you know, I have to look at the rules and regs because paddlefish are one that's a little tricky as far as below dams and because you don't catch a paddlefish in the mouth. It's it's a foul hook every day. Yeah, Yeah. so you got to make sure you're somewhere where you can legally keep one. The only ones that I've caught before have been at the Falls of the Ohio, which I think is immediate release because Mm -hmm. I'm following, excuse me, It's a little tricky because if you're fishing the falls, you're fishing Indiana bank rules is what you have to follow. So I'm following Indiana's bank fishing rules for below the the dam, and I'm pretty sure it's release only. So, you know, you kind of got to, with sturgeon, with any of our ancient fish, paddlefish, you kind of got to touch up on your rules and regs. And sturgeon, you can't keep paddlefish. You have the opportunity to, I think, up to two a day or something. Yeah, that's one I got to refresh myself on because we don't. That's not a question we get a lot yeah, about mm-hmm. paddlefish. The people who would know is probably the bow fishermen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I would, you know, I check rules and regs, but that's a fish that's on my list, and I'm never going to catch one on purpose. So it's probably going to be a situation where I catch one and then I pull my phone out real quick and I'm looking at rules and regs and right. deciding what happens with it. So let's see, where do we go here? I uh, well, speaking of the Ohio, it's. Two years ago now, Chase and I, about this time of year, went with uh, former director of fisheries, Paul Wilkes, and went to the lower dam. Did he take y'all up there? Yeah, we (laughs) smacked them. Oh, my God, we smacked them. Rick had an art show at the Lexington Public Library that runs, we'll talk more about it. Yep, that was was a very popular photo. That's based loosely on Chase, a picture I took of Chase. That's not not me, the the person is it, but that's my fish he's holding. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) and you were kind of in that pose, so that's where we were at. So so that looks nothing like Chase. That's me in uh, 40 years after I've shrunk six inches. There you go. Yeah. But it's based on a picture of Chase holding that. That's his fish. Right now we're looking at the fall 2021 Kentucky Field Magazine, and it is a, I think, a perfect depiction of the lower dam at the Falls of Ohio. You can't see the dam here, you know, but as far as the the tree line across the way and the way that the water's coming off the pad and recirculating, I think Rick nailed it as far as this image goes. I mean, because you've been down there before, right, Dave? I've been I've been down there once. You know how that water shoots off that pad, and then you got this back eddy over here. Mm-hmm. Just the circulation and the water is. It looks is, exactly like it. And if you get a four inch swim bait in any of that frothy water, hang on, pow, hang on oh for dear God. life. Yeah, that it fit, was the, great. The big fish we caught that day was like a ten pound, <laughs> right at a ten pound hybrid. So it was pretty. I think it went twenty seven inches yeah, yeah. or something like that. I was gonna say, based on what we've done, it takes about a twenty seven inch fish to break ten pounds. Yeah, so, yeah. that's that's kind of like rule of thumb down and there. And it's got to be. A butter ball on top of that. Oh, it was a. They were all yeah. butter balls. That's kind yeah, of the rule. Blast when I, when you catch one down there and you you tell people it was a ten pounder, they say, "Well, how long was it?" And okay, twenty seven inches is kind of like the standard. Okay, I, I might believe you. I yeah. might, but if it's less than twenty six, it's kind of like uh, you might want to get your scale checked type right. deal, you know. So um, no, that was a lot of fun. That'll be happening soon. I, I'm not sure we're there yet, uh, but I haven't I haven't fished. Is the it a a, a water level thing too 
Yeah, that, it's going to be a water level thing. Everything's going to matter, especially, I mean, the rain up in Pittsburgh, rain in Cincinnati, and uh, what they're doing on the dams, too, because, you know, for a long period during the summer, they shut down the upper for fossil bed tours, and all the water's coming through the lower. Well, then at some point, they're going to change that, so then you'll have flow coming from up top and from uh, the lower dam through the side. So it, it's just really variable. And they, you know, you got to check with... Uh, the the Army Corps of Engineers too, because you never know what that that dam's. There's a do, number so. you can call, and they'll tell you how many feet they're running on upper and yeah. lower, and that'll predicate. Yeah, that's a fun one, but that's one you got to have a a boat to get to. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't suggest anybody go out there and kayak it by themselves or or with anybody who hasn't done it before. Um, so. But you can get back access and catch hybrids from the Indiana side at the Falls of Ohio Interpretive Center yeah, at, just, when, when they're releasing water from the upper dam. Correct? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and even when they're not, they're still going to be high. There's always some water coming through. Chase saved someone's life down there with braided fishing line. A couple of years ago, yeah. But he, yeah, it was, he got wrapped up. He, he, some guy tried to swim to the upper when they were running about 35. <laughs> Yeah, he swam out there. There's nothing about that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> well, there was a log jam next to the, you know, when all that water's coming through the upper mm-hmm. and it's all coming through out in the middle of the river and you got the whole damn wall that leads out there. Well, there was a log jam up there next to the upper where all that water was coming through and it recirculated a bunch of debris. And these guys wanted to go fish right next to where all that water was shooting through. So their game plan was to swim to that log jam oh, and God. climb up on that log jam and. They made it there, but they, they weren't going to make it back. So luckily I had my catfish rig with me. It was actually my musky rod with 65-pound braid. Yeah, and this one guy, he he couldn't stay up. He came up. He was yelling for help. And so I cut the circle hook off my thing and just threw my lead weight over top of him, and he got all wrapped up in my braid, and I just drug him in. <laughs> so <laughs> Cut your hands, didn't it? Oh, I, it no, it cut him up. Cut him up. Because he, he had the braid like going oh. under, under oh, his gosh. arm his body well it's better than better than dying yeah, yeah that better than kind of beats dying when i got him into the shore he he, um, did, he didn't speak english so i couldn't talk to him but i his buddy was there trying to help him you know and i didn't even i just cut my line and uh because i wasn't going to try to untangle my braid from this this man's body but it was all wrapped around luckily it didn't get around his neck or anything but either way i'm not jumping in to try to save somebody in that water um ma'am sorry I'm not going to die with you. Yeah. And that's kind of like the smart thing to do. But luckily I had some heavy line and a heavy weight with me that day. So I hope he doesn't mind the cuts. I'm sure they feel about now. Well, heck yeah. 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 That, Cause he wouldn't have to worry about it without that. Cause he, yeah. we've been reading about him in the Curry journal. Yeah. I'd say so. Well, you're talking about the hybrids and stuff. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one that we've seen the last several years. I mean, a lot of people know like salt river, Taylorsville Lake, mm. it's kind of that hybrid. You're up in the, actually in the river part, but our, our white bass and hybrid will make that fall run. Tell me about that because that's mm-hmm. one that I really yes, want to I've got that and, on my and, notes. And see, that's one I, I think is kind of neat because you can put a boat in at Van Buren and go up if you have a boat and want to do that, but you can equally go fish off River Road and have mm-hmm. just as much success fishing from the shore. And that new parking lot we have. Let me ask you a question. Is River Road closed for fall hunting right now? I know that the parking lot access is at, at, at Palmer and at the other side by Glensboro are always available. But I, are, you know, like in spring turkey season, we shut the gates. We shut the gates. Even when the gates are closed, it's still open. For, yeah. You can still walk in. Yeah, you, you just can't, can't drive the road. But you, with can, the you can walk 150 yards straight down from the parking lot to the right. river. Right. So fish. even if the gates are closed, you can always park in the parking lots and walk yeah, yeah. walk across that bottom to the creek. Yeah. Uh, but uh, typically, uh, we see them end October, 1st of November. That They're making a big run up there, the shatter up in the creek. 
Uh, the white bass hybrids go with them. The, the cool thing is is that uh, the sog I go with them, too. Oh, I like that. So we get a lot of questions about sog I go, man, where, when can you, where, where can we catch them? When can we catch them? Well, they're stacked up in there end of October, 1st of November. And it's not like the spring run as far as crowds go. Like, Oh, no. I mean, nothing like Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, again, I think a lot of people are in the hunting, hunting yeah. mindset. Yeah. Uh, I think you can have the place relatively, you know, it's relatively calm compared to the spring. And it's not as historic. Like our spring runs, we always talk about our historic white bass runs, right? Mm-hmm. We never talk about our historic fall. Mm-hmm. But it is always been there. It's just not, it's not hit quite as hard as the spring one. It's mm-hmm. not, but the thing that I, that I think is an advantage to the fall is it's more predictable. Mm-hmm. Where the spring, it's like, did they go early? Did they go late? Do we have the right r- flows? Mm-hmm. What's the water temperature doing? It's too muddy. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's all these variables, and it's like everybody's going out testing the waters in the spring trying to figure out. Well, the nice thing about in the fall is is you get to October, water, water gets in the 50s. Mm-hmm. They're there. So what kind of water mm. temperature? Because in the spring, we're looking for, oh, what is it? I always touch, touch up on it. It's like somewhere around 63 degrees is what I'm looking for in the spring. So I think you hit the you get into the low 60s all the way down through the mid-50s. Okay. And typically, that'll, typically, that's starting about that third week of October, and it'll stay there. You know, you've got a couple weeks into November. So I think there's about a, about a three- to four-week window. <coughs> I, I really think your opportunity is – really really good over there and it's not just uh salt river you can do this on no land you can do this on dicks above harrington it's all the headwaters of those same lakes that we talk about in the spring mm-hmm. and that's the other thing that we, we we always talk about like you know if we're talking about nolan we're like nolan river or mm-hmm. you know we're talking about the salt river well the other thing that's pretty cool especially you know with the paddle paddling community that's angling and stuff i'll talk about taylorville because i know it the best but you can paddle into the very back end of big beach creek and it's mm-hmm. loaded with with white bass hybrids saw guy what you do is you just paddle up you hit that deposition zone right before mm-hmm. it next down into the creek mouth you get back in the creek mouth where you get your depth back go up to the first up to that first area in front of that first riffle mm-hmm. and it's amazing how many are in those bigger creek arms we, we focus in on the main river but big beach back of ashes creek you know those creeks also put a lot of fish in the back of them so um you don't necessarily have to go to the salt river you can yeah. try something else for something different but cool so you could paddle up into the head of big beach and the, the head of ashes creek and mm-hmm. there'll be hybrids and white bass up there and then that same yeah. window when they're running yeah that- yeah they're just they're just that's the that's the creek that's the closest to them so that's the one they go to yeah that makes sense so i, so was, I think those are some very overlooked opportunities heck, yeah that's Ding. <laughs> yeah. we, we went, Check mark in my brain. <laughs> we went back into Big Beach, I think it was last year, during this this window we're talking about. And, I mean, it was amazing the amount of white bass and saw guy. There was crappie back in there. So, I think. Any hybrids? We did see some hybrids. They weren't as plentiful as the white bass. The white bass they, they were pretty, insane. Hmm. I mean, we turned the water white with fish. Huh. Wow, I'm gonna have to check into this. <laughs> so I think there, I think you know, there is some other opportunity, and I'd say no wind is no different. You hit some of those bigger creek arms, yeah, and do the same thing. I would imagine that they'd have fish in the back of them also. In the spring, they're looking for some flow. You know, that's one, that's one of the variables. You're looking, they they gotta have flow. If it's too, that's one reason me and Lee had a bad day this past springs because mm-hmm. we went 
every with water temperature was perfect. Watercolor was perfect. No flow. Time was perfect. No flow. Yep. Caught you could car. see them. You could sit there and watch them rolling on one another. But you couldn't convince them to bite. No, they were like, ah, nah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. If we if we had had another eight inches of water in there, mm-hmm. I think we would have absolutely yeah. smacked them. Speaking of that, I just checked because I wanted to see if uh, Salt River had a temperature gauge at Glensboro. It doesn't. But no, I wish that why don't they put that on everything? That drives me nuts. What do you think the flow is at Salt River right now? And flow. Glensboro. Uh, and flow from Glensboro, thirty-two. Very, I'm just, very, I mean, completely low. guessing. It says three. ten. What three? Two point six nine, to be honest. With you. <laughs> it's, man, it's been crazy dry. Uh, well, Elkhorn up by my house. I live on North Fork, and I think it's when I looked the other day when when it was ten. Oh yeah, the uh, South Fork is like twenty-five. So yeah, I mean everything's crazy, crazy well, I mean, dry. It's it's like we get these big boomers, and mm-hmm. then it blows up. And then nothing. You know, even a lot of the rain we've had lately has been really scattered. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I was in a deer stand not on opening weekend. It rained a lot. So not this past Saturday, but the one before that weekend, we got quite a bit of rain. I got poured on. I mean, I'm talking, it came down. I bet you we got five inches of rain and at my deer stand. Mm-hmm. My buddy was dove hunting five miles away and dry as could be. And, you know, the very next day I was in the deer stand. I didn't get any rain. But I'm going to drive home, you know, ten, less than 10 miles down the road. It looked like they had a washout. So a lot of those storms, even if you might have seen a whole lot of rain in your area, that doesn't mean it was doing that, you know, on the watershed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a couple miles down the road. So, but hopefully we, I could, I think we could probably use a little bit more rain to get mm-hmm. these creeks all bumped up. And I'm sure it'll come at some point. I haven't looked at the extended forecast to see when it's coming right now. Well, it looks but. like we're going to get some Thursday. I think this this big dome of high pressure we've had is breaking up, and we're going to start getting some variability. We're going to see some temperatures drop come Thursday. That's too. what Good. I was. I want to tell you guys. I got a text yesterday from one of my deer hunting buddies, and uh, he said I think Thursday's the day. Is no the doubt. day. And, you know, I I look at that a couple ways. And it's true because I think what he told me, I haven't checked to see if this is still accurate. High on Wednesday is 94, something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. High on Thursday is 74. Yep. And that, I agree, deer are going to be moving. But there's also another front, and that's today. And today, if you look at the wind direction, it's coming straight out of the south. And overnight, it's going to 180 itself around to the, I think, the northeast or something like that. Ooh, it's, that's... That's something I wanted to ask you. We, we planned on Wednesday. It's going to be hotter than fire, but we're going to have a south wind. Post frontal, which would you choose if you had to choose? Post frontal or right before the front? I like to go before the front. Yeah, I think after, don't you think Friday there's a chance for a, a wind I, I, from like northeast or something yeah. after that? Major front, major 20-degree temperature drop, and the barometric pressure bottoming out. And I'm just going to say, just based on my fishing experience, is that if I feel like pre-front conditions seem to fish better, mm-hmm. and then you get behind that front post-frontal, and it's like, it can get tough. They can kind of get lockjaw for a day. Mm-hmm. So if you had to choose Wednesday or Friday, you would choose Wednesday? I would. Even would. though it's going to be hot? So yeah. what? But we're going to be wet in the creek anyway. I was going to say, if you get hot, just lay down in the water. No doubt. I do that all the time. I love to lay <laughs> just, it. I love just, to lay up to like my just, chest and just chill out in a just, riffle just cool when off. it's hot. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think Wednesday would be awesome. Okay. Well, good. See, everybody was – I'm getting a little blowback, but all right. No, I, Thank you, brother. Hey, if you're, if you're anything like me, you just go when you get the That's chance to I'm go. That's what I don't, I don't, I don't go have the luxury. perfect. I go when I can. Yeah, I don't have the luxury of going, well, I think all the stars align today. That's like, oh, wow. 
I, I have the opportunity to go today. I don't care what the weather is. I'm yeah. just going to go make the best out of it. I get to go. I mean, there could be sleet and snow for Friday, yeah. but if I could go Friday, I'm going to yeah. go. <laughs> that, that's how that's how my fishing goes now. It's like not not when the conditions are right. It's, it's when I know, can do with, it. It's with the kids and everything. I'm just going to go. Okay, I have an opportunity. To just take it. Yeah, and make no the doubt. Be, make the best out no, of it. No. That makes perfect sense to me. No doubt. I do think we have some good opportunities coming up for, for deer this week, though. And I, the big temperature swings are always something to me. Because like you all were talking about with fishing, I never know. For deer, it, it seems to make sense. If the temperature's been 94 degrees and all of a sudden it's 74 degrees, that's probably a good thing for deer, mm -hmm. right? They're just going to get them on their feet earlier in the evenings, you'd hope. But, you know, there's something to be said for consistency, too. Um and like one of the best crappie guys we ever went with, he said that his favorite time to crappie fish is August. And that's counterintuitive to most people. Mm -hmm. But he said they're just so predictable because everything's the exact same I've every single day. On the small lakes, fall crappie are big overlooked opportunity. Don't you think yeah. on some of your lakes? Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been doing pretty good on crappie on our lakes this late summer. So, yeah, I would say there's more in there than people think. I mean, no the expectation i don't think you need to go there i think you're going to be catching 10 to 12 inch fish i mean you're going to go there and catch eight and a half to 10 inch fish you know nice eater size mm -hmm. fish but a lot of fish there a lot of opportunity because how do you attack them i mean don't you want to get too specific but. i can't tell you anything okay <laughs> <laughs> no I, i'll say this a lot of the fish i'm catching if you'll get on the department's website go to the lakes with fish attractors tab on I the study small, it on the small the lakes, there's a lot of fish hanging around those deep brush piles, yeah. those ten to twelve foot brush piles yeah. that are that that it set up five or six. Right, feet Oster the smacks them on Kentucky Lake so, in yeah. late summer, early fall. So I really Fishing don't. Deep I, I really don't know that it matters what you throw. I mean, I would fish whatever you have your confidence in. Um, but those are the areas that we're catching them in. Study them. I mean, especially if you go to our lakes, uh, Central Fisheries District lakes. Uh, these brush piles, when we send you to one, are typically 80 to 120 Christmas trees in a pile. So it's a big spot. Uh, they're pretty easy to find. I just have regular, just uh, regular sonar, 2D sonar on my boat. You know, nothing's fancy, and uh, they're they're no problem to find. We try to build them big for that reason. The uh, mm. the guy I was talking about, who is one of the best crappie guys we've been out with, and who said August was his favorite month. He was fishing department brush piles and, um, hmm. and we were fishing he was looking for brush piles that were placed in about 15 feet of water mm -hmm. and he likes the ones that come off off the bottom vertically because yep. it allows for more vertical movement for the fish if pressure changes so if you mm -hmm. get a, a high pressure day versus low pressure day all those fish are going to do is be a little bit deeper a little bit shallower but they're still there but if your brush pile is built vertically then they have the option to stay there so, so that's that's one of the things that we've put we have put in the last several years is emphasis on one making the sites bigger so these are fine but by making them bigger you know we may put it in a lot of our small lakes because of the thermocon will be around 12 feet typically we make mm -hmm. them in 12 feet but now they may they may extend all the way up within a couple feet of the surface. Mm -hmm. Again, like you said, it gives those fish the ability to move up and down. They don't have to necessarily go anywhere. Yeah. So they're, they're 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 hot spots. So I would for, just agree with you on the department brush piles being spots to look at. Um, uh, yeah, and like I said, you go to go to our website, go to Lakes with Fish Attractors, mm -hmm. and click on click on whatever lake you fish at, and um, or if you go into a new lake, I mean, I, I would definitely start with those places. Uh, we were at Corinth. The, the bite was tough this weekend, mm -hmm. uh, so I told my son, "I said, let's just go. Let's go. Just jump brush pile to brush pile." And mm -hmm. 
we went from not doing very good to we actually ended with a pretty good trip. So crappie. Uh, we were or bass fishing. Uh, been working with him. He's been wanting to learn how to to worm fish and do some stuff like that. So. I, I put a drop. Sure, shot. son. I can sacrifice that. I yeah. can take you worm fishing. Okay. Yeah. Well, he, if you twist my arm, he's like he's like most kids. You know, you, you it's fun to throw a crankbait or a spinner bait or a topwater. You just throw it and just reel it really fast. But he's but he's getting a little older. He's getting a little older now. And he's you know he's seeing that there's different things that that I fish and he's wanting that. So I was like, I put a drop shot on and said, just throw it in the middle of the Christmas tree pile and hang on. And I think first brush pile, he he caught four bass out of it, and he goes. Dad, you haven't caught anything. Start trash talking me. So then I had to put a little bit more effort into it. <laughs> yeah. but, you know. That's when you got to step it up. You, yeah. It's all fun and games. It was, you know, I was like, I'm, I, I was like giving him first dibs at it, yeah, you know, to help him trash. out. But then he then he got a little overconfident. So I had to give him a reality check, you know. Yeah, but did, that's good though. I did that with my brother last year deer hunting. He, yeah. uh, we, he we went deer hunting together, and he made it, he he was you know we were hunting separate, but I heard his a shot and I. And you know, uh, he said, "Yeah, I got one. I dropped it." And he was. I went over there and I was helping him with it, and he was really proud of this. He put a good shot on the animal, but he literally dropped this deer, probably two hundred, two hundred fifty yards. And so we started off, you know, where he was at, set up in the field, and we walked to the deer together. And he was getting awfully cocky about how good of a shot he made there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then we yes. we looked back, and a doe walked out, and it just so happened to have walked out exactly where he was set up at. So now we were sitting at the deer he had dropped, and there was a deer at where he had been at. So I said, Grant, you watch this. And I got down there, and I dropped that deer too. And I just had to let him know, you know, kind of tone him down a little bit. He's getting a little too cocky there. I had to show, <laughs> him, show him who Big Brother was for a second. Yeah. So, it, it, it goes to your head fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all but guilty. It's bad karma to start getting gloaty and stuff. We're all guilty of it, but it has a way of coming back and kicking no. you in the butt. Yeah, it too. bites. It bites. You take Humility. Them, take, take them out, and you want them to have fun, and you're proud of them, when they do good, but as soon as they start talking trash, you got to tone them down. down a, little a little switch bit. goes off in your brain. It's different then. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit of deer while we're here. Um, but first, let's let's talk about what we've talked about with uh, with Dave on fisheries so far. So you guys are out getting ready to start your fall sampling right now. You cool. told me that you guys are hitting Harrington when you leave here today. Correct. Yeah. So we're we're in our fall bass sampling. So what that means for us is we're going out to our our lakes and reservoirs and we're trying to evaluate uh, the success of the spawn this spring. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for the little guys. Okay. Um, we also will collect the larger fish and look at body conditions and stuff to give us an idea. It's something we follow from year to year, yeah. and it also gives us an idea of how how well that we expect them fish to to make it through the winter and show up next spring for our anglers. So, uh, but yeah, so we're hitting our big lakes. Uh, a lot of that information goes goes into uh, if we do have some bad year classes, it's all compiled across the state. We do have some bass in our hatchery. Mm-hmm. that we can supplement uh some of these lakes if 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 need be um the hope is they, they had a good spawn and uh they maintain their own populations but there's a little bit of a safety net through our stocking programs yeah we're going uh i think i'm looking to go on a bass stocking trip for the tv show here soon i was going to look and see where that bass stocking was taking place a lot of people you know we we really do a good job advertising the fins and the trail mm-hmm. and a lot of the stocking. But, you know, it seems like one of the most constant things that people say, the, the complainers, stock more bass. Well, well I think well, a lot of people don't realize the, we're still doing that. Well, then here's the other here's the yeah. other misconception, I think. And, and I know when I talk to anglers at the lake and at the ramps and whatnot, is they're like, uh, you know, y'all never stock bass here. 
Well, that's probably true in a lot of cases because we don't need to, though. because we don't need to, but because they don't see us doing it, they just assume that there's not bass there. But really, for a lot of our lakes, you know, especially on our species that can that that are reproduced and should maintain their own populations, us not showing up with a stock and truck and putting fish in means that the lake is actually performing just like it should perform, and there's no issues. So that's actually a good thing in a lot of cases that the hatchery truck isn't there, mm-hmm. especially if you're talking about bass, mm-hmm. yeah. because that's the species. If everything's good, we shouldn't be having to stock. You know, Chad kind of painted this picture for me. We did a we covered a habitat project on Barkley this past spring. That was a cool mm-hmm. project where they were cutting down the cool project, doing selective tree removal from yep. the from the hardwoods mm-hmm. and then dragging those trees into the into the lake and setting them up in like three to five foot of water for mm-hmm. spawning structure. And uh, you know, I was like, man, that's great. Anglers are gonna be able to find those and catch those fish. Chad, <clears throat> you know, he's he's much more knowledgeable when it comes to fisheries things than I am. He his mind clicked a different way, and he said, man, that is great for the bass population. He said, you got to think about it. Everybody wants us to stock bass, and we could drag a stocking truck in here and dump as many bass in this lake as we wanted to, but good spawning habitat, each one of those bass is going to produce mm-hmm. 20,000, you know, 30,000 fry, and mm-hmm. if you get good survival rates out of those fry and you get good spawning, then that's going to do so much more than we could ever do with a hatchery truck. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just get natural reproduction, we could never match it. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. Cause Chad yeah, did, if, not me. Well, or Chad, yeah, yeah, yeah. because – yeah, we're 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 definitely ahead of the game if we can get the fish to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. Cuz yeah, we can't we can't duplicate or match what what they can do on their own. So um I think the project at Barkley is awesome. Again, it's a humongous lake. Mm-hmm. Um again, you, you know, for us, you know, our entire stocking program for largemouth bass uh for our our lakes is 75,000 fish. Yeah. And you're talking about if you go out and do some habitat work, you can you're, o- you're only talking about you're you're needing just uh, you know five nests mm. yeah, really, to produce really to everything produce. that a, yeah. a stocking would do that that we that we allocate in our hatchery for yeah. our uh, by stocking initiative on our on our reservoirs. Now, of course, you got you so know. you know you look at it from that standpoint. The habit that, I think that's why you've seen this emphasis on habitat work. We do a lot of fish attractor work, yeah, but we also do a lot of. Um, fish habitat work which is different because like what adam's doing on barkley is trying to promote spawning not necessarily uh the anglers will obviously benefit from it because it gives them some targets and hopefully increase the bass population but that project specifically is to increase the spawning success recruitment to that population ultimately to create a better product to me it's like uh the, the visualization of it would be have you ever seen that that it's a meme where the the guy's walking down the sidewalk and he's got like his girlfriend on his right shoulder but he's got his head turned back and he's looking at the other girl that's walking yeah. the other way <laughs> yeah. well his girlfriend would be natural fish spawning mm-hmm. and the, the attractive exactly. he's looking at yeah. is uh fish stocking you yeah. know what i mean but really fish uh natural fish spawning is is tried and true in the way to go and you know in terms of bass and things <clears> that can sustain a population on their own um like you said the stocking is kind of supplementary where needed but there are fish like trout and uh saw guy hybrids obviously hybrids. that don't reproduce on their own uh sturgeon who are doing the restoration effort musky who produce at a reproduce at a very 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 low Lower, level yeah um those fish rely on stocking and a lot of that has to do with the fact like you kind of hinted at earlier our dams um like spoonbill, probably sturgeon. If I had to guess, they require their eggs to tumble 
across they, they do. So when you get that sediment built up from dams and kind of more stagnant water, they can't reproduce. So that's why we're having to do those. But we're also taking dams out at a pretty good rate right now. So we are. I think that a couple are coming out on green this year. Right? I was down at Barron River number one. I was on so, that watching yes. them knock it out. Six is gone. Six is gone on green. Five is partial, partially, partially gone. gone. I think they're got a, a couple little bumps in the road they're having to deal with but well, it's, it's coming the, the water intake for brownsville for brownsville yeah um i think locking them one on burns done uh they got to come back yeah. next year and maybe do a little bit of dress up work see it's how a pretty decent little drop there now yeah so i think they're going to come and clean that up they're wanting to see kind of let the river do some of the, the grade work for mm-hmm. them this during the drawdown and then mm-hmm. they're going to come back and then they'll address whatever needs to be addressed next year so they were doing a good job on it. i was just down there with mike so, so yeah, there's some there's some really big projects. The the late Ted Crowell made a good point about stocking and about not seeing the stocking truck. He's like, Lee, people don't realize if a lake is full, you know, it's like a glass of water. If it holds 16 ounces, that's it all, holds 16 ounces. That's all you can pour a gallon of water on it, but that cup is only going to hold 16 ounces. So stocking to him was pouring a gallon of water into a 16 ounce cup. A lot of times it was a waste. It but people be. don't see it that way. Yeah, as long as I mean, I've had, I've heard that thing before. You know, how much biomass can a, a area mm-hmm. of water hold? It's different for moving water. It's different for Kentucky and Barkley because they turn their water over every three days, mm-hmm. and Lake Cumberland turns it over every three years. You yeah. know, so there's a lot that goes into that. But you know, stocking can help, and with some species, it's necessary. But at some point, you have a holding capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, your lake's not gonna, you aren't gonna have any more fish in this because that's what the but if a guy goes out because of his poor skills and doesn't catch any, we need to stop more bass and say, you know, Corinth. Yeah. But actually, Corinth and is Corinth, filled up. And Corinth is actually overpopulated with bass to the point that we're actually got some new regulations coming up next year that are going to allow people to take out little bass uh, to thin the herd down so the ones that are there will not be stunted, get better shape, and grow a little better. And those are the ones that taste good. And yeah. uh, Right. So... Uh, you know, we definitely have regulations that we encourage people to do the catch and release and put fish back uh, for for reasons. And we also have regulations that uh, do encourage people to take advantage of these fisheries and harvest fish. And it's to it's to ultimately to improve those populations and the experience when you go. Mm-hmm. So every lake's different. Uh, so. If you catch a keeper fish, legal keeper fish, you should never feel bad about keeping it. If you no, ask me. as long not as you a buy your, a fish. you buy your hunting fishing license, you keep it's, your. If you if fish. yeah, if you got your hunting fishing license and yeah, you uh, buy you, our regulations, yeah, you should never feel bad about following a regulation. I mean, that's why we do it. Uh, <laughs> the, reason, the reason we go out and sample these populations and look at these fisheries year after year after year is to say, hey, this is this is a level that's appropriate. It's a renewable resource. We got more fish coming on every year. Uh, our job as managers of the resources say this is an acceptable level you can harvest fish at and it not be detrimental to the population. And if we see changes, we make changes, correct? Again, that's why we go out year after year and we we monitor these populations to look for these changes. And if there's something that's not going right or, you know, we can change it, you know, and if it is going right, we also have the evidence to prove that what we're doing makes sense moving forward. So that's why we're out there. No doubt. So, yeah, never feel bad about harvesting the fish as long as you're doing it legally. And the whole slot, I think when you talk about how we're trying to manage the resource and we're keeping, you know, paying attention, the slot limit kind of demonstrates that to me where 
like on Elkhorn, we just put a new slot limit in a few years ago, correct? No, it's been in. It's been in since the 80s, I believe. Yeah, what, early 90s. Early 90s, uh, Bonac put it in. Jerry Bonac put it yeah. in. Yeah. So there's like a, and on Del Hollow, you know, or Cumberland, mm-hmm. there's a slot limit where you can keep a fish under this length and then there's a no-go zone. Correct. Where you can't keep one in a certain size. And that's directly related to the management too and what we're trying to, you know, certain age classes we're trying to so protect. So, so anglers in our, in central central fisheries are fixing to see a lot of a lot of slot limits come up in in effect for this coming season uh, season 23 23 fish like so when march 23 rolls so around. march 23 the new guide comes out there there's gonna be you're gonna see that we're slot we're working on, on it right now bass yeah and it's 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 mainly on our bluegill lakes um that the reason for it is, is they have really high reproduction really high recruitment so there's a lot of fish that get piled up um, and without that harvest, they get, I mean, anglers out there, they see it, they get stuck at eight, eight to 11 inches. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been doing a lot of work removing those small fish out of beaver. Beaver, I was going to say, beaver's a. the nice thing is, is we were actually starting to see in, nice increases in our fish, 12 to 15 inches, fish over 15 inches. Um, but ideally, instead of us having to go do the work, we would prefer anglers go out and utilize that resource take those fish home, flay them, have a nice dinner. Um, and so, you know, that's just good business on our part. And again, they're getting to help, help mm-hmm. accomplish a, a goal for that lake. Good, healthy food and doing a good mm-hmm. thing. I'm all about keeping some fish. <laughs> and one of the other things we talked about is, uh, the fall, fall fishing. And it, just to recap, it, it seems like right now, if any of the three of us were going to go, we'd be hitting a smallmouth stream. It seems like, yep. yes. Um, maybe looking at the water levels. I'll fish Elkhorn in the fifties, but I'll fish uh-huh. it on foot. Yeah, and uh, you know that that might I be. I almost your... went yesterday, but I had a bunch of stuff for this one. I was like, oh, now, yeah. it can be enjoyable going at low levels on foot because you can walk around much easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can get to that next riffle up there without having to get waist deep. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. you can just get knee deep. Right, the so, man can get spooky, spooky, spooky when it's bright like that. So we're looking at stream, <laughs> stream smallmouth right now. It would be the hot ticket, but Dave here said that in mid October. We should see maybe some white bass, some hybrids, some saw guy runs, the same places that you can catch them in the spring. And that's going to be a much less crowded. I will be out there doing that this year, 100%. Mm-hmm. And then, Dave, I think you also said that after that turnover kind of happens in the fall, we're looking at maybe um, early November for the reservoirs to start turning on. Right. And the, and the thing is, I'm not saying don't go in October. Yeah. If, you, if you get out there and the water's a funky color, you got that smell. Um, Shallow water recovers quicker than the deeper parts of the lake. Go yeah. fish your back of your creeks. That's where your active fish are going to be. They're going to be they're going to be through that turnover a lot quicker. Uh, water quality's improved already, so um, you still have good trips. You just you just may have to fish some different areas you're used to fishing. I got you. That makes perfect sense. Well, one last thing I want to touch on is a little bit of deer. So we were supposed to do this podcast last Friday, right? Mm-hmm. And I canceled on you guys. I had to. That was a little miscommunication on mine and Lee's. Yeah, that's a that, you know. Well, the reason I canceled was because I had finally, well, I, I'm not going to say finally. She was pretty willing to go. But I had Kristen, my girlfriend, ready to go on a bow hunt with me. And I would planned that for Friday morning, and I felt like I should keep with those plans. If I had her willing to go, I needed to take advantage of right. it. Right. No problem. Well, I took her out on Friday morning. We saw deer, didn't have luck. She wanted to go back on Saturday. We went out, and we saw deer. And this time we got them pretty close, you know, like a couple small bucks up close. So that was a good experience for her. But yesterday we actually got a deer. 
and we had a couple of does come in, nice 25-yard shot, and it all just worked out perfect. Because, you know, when you have a somebody who's never witnessed that with you before, and especially someone who loves animals, you mm-hmm. want it to go pretty good. Right. So it went really good. So it's all I could ask for there. But last night, you know, I've I've been getting more interested in cooking wild game over the past few years. And I'd always wanted to try liver, and I never had before. So yesterday I cut that liver out of that deer, and I took it home, and I cooked it last night. And I was looking at recipes online, and there was a lot of options, but I always have just naturally trusted Steve Rinella. You know, I watch his TV show, and some of the stuff he cooks look good. So I clicked on his liver recipe, and I followed it, and it was so simple compared to the other ones. And then I realized it was kind of like a backpacking recipe, so something you can do with, like, almost no... Um, equipment or anything so I cooked it in like the bare minimum way possible I think the only things were salt and pepper uh, bacon grease and lemon juice were the only things I hmm. used pretty simple <laughs> yeah just let it so was it? it that's what I'm getting at I overcooked it a little bit but it was surprisingly good I expected huh. it to be really bitter you know and all the other recipes I looked at had you soak the liver in milk for a day or okay. something like that but his recipe just called for you to soak it in lemon water for like an hour or something like that and i started thinking why lemon with ranella's and milk with the others and i was thinking maybe he wants to preserve that bitterness you know because you kind of got a bitter flavor with the liver and it just maybe it, it comes across better with lemon like maybe it sweetens up the bitterness a little but then i started realizing it's because you can't take milk into the back country with you mm-hmm. and you can probably take a thing of lemon juice or a lemon with you. oh yeah so, uh, but it was surprisingly good, and I I will do it again. I do think you get a short shelf life out of your liver, though. So, mm-hmm. I think that'll probably be if I do that moving forward. The first you know thing, the first day, do liver, and then next couple of days look at the inner loins and stuff like that. But I was actually really surprised at how good the liver was, and I think it, the bacon grease probably helped. You know, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any bacon grease at the house, so the first step in my recipe was to cook bacon. So have you ever eaten? <laughs> I've never eaten anything bad that wasn't covered in bacon. Oh, yeah. no, I was going to say. If you cover anything bacon in bacon grease, grease bacon, how can it be bad? Yeah, no, you're, you're heading in the right direction. Yeah. No, that's what, that's Wrap it in bacon, cover bacon grease. We're My good. mother, I mean, she I, always kept her bacon grease in yeah. the old coffee can. Oh, I knew I was going to have a good meal when the first step called for cooking bacon, you know? Yeah. No, that's what I did. I just cooked a bunch of bacon and then threw some red onions cut into, you know, the, what do they call them, the circles? Mm-hmm. Um, rings. So red onion cut into rings and let those get brown and then took them out and then threw the thin sliced liver in there, salt and pepper, and flipped them one time, two minutes aside. And it was, he said you should still have a little bit of pink in the middle. Mine were pretty dark, so I know I overcooked them, but the flavor was actually much better than I expected. It, it reminded me of chicken liver, the texture. Okay. Yeah, like, I'll eat chicken livers. I love the The texture is, is really good. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of like a Lee's going to Lee's chicken and getting the chicken liver. That was the texture of it. Okay. But it wasn't, you know, breaded and deep fried. So, but it, the same texture. I would suggest people give it a try. I've got the heart in a Ziploc, and that might be tonight's meal. I'll have to prep that one before Kristen gets home so she doesn't know what it is. So she doesn't look at it. <laughs> yeah. She wants to try the liver. She just didn't want to try it, the, be the first one to try it. You know what I mean? So she's all into the nutrition and she knows that that's like the most you know nutrition beef and venison liver is about the most nutritious thing you can possibly eat so i know people that's why they're like with fish they're like you know i don't want to help flay them it's be part of that but now we'll help you eat them yeah. mm-hmm. so so yeah. i don't get as many helpers on that end but yeah eating and i get a lot of helpers mm-hmm. no no doubt yeah i'll be ready to put some more fish in the freezer um when that spring, fall run comes around like you were talking about 
Oh yeah. I've got a some musky um zip the freezer, you know, uh, vacuum sealed and frozen right now. I've still got some musky, but I don't have any bluegill or white bass or anything hanging around. And you know, the other fish I kept this year were sawgai and walleye, and those went before they they never got frozen. Yeah, so something. Those, <laughs> those never got frozen. The only reason the musky got frozen is because there's so much of it. I had to. It wasn't a one sitting kind of meal, so. It was pretty good, mm. too. I'm probably not going to keep another muskie this year. I've got enough meat from that one to get me through, supplemented with some bluegill and some white bass here and there. But crappie would be oh, one I'd like to get on, too. Good old bluegill fillet sure is good. A lot of bluegill this year. Mm. It's, a, it's hard to beat bluegill. It is. It is. Guys, you got Oh, I do want to promote one or two other things. So um, we did a How to Field Dress a Deer video with Becky Bloomfield. And I uh, mm. put that on the Kentucky Field YouTube last week. I'll probably put it on our social media today. And uh, just like with the field processing video we did with Chad last year, I wanted it to be easy to follow, informative. I think it is maybe the best field dressing video that's on the Internet, looking at other yeah. options. Others either oversimplify the process or drag it out too much. And this one is, is pure information the whole time. You see the process. It's a nine-minute video. Becky Bloomfield demonstrates I'll it. I'll do so a little blurb on it in the magazine. Somebody wants to see how to field dress a deer, you know, maybe a new hunter or maybe looking for a new method um, going into this year's deer season. So that's a great resource. And our field processing video, which is where Chad literally in the field takes all the meat off the deer and yeah. shows you what each cut so is. The debon we, yeah. yeah, deboning. That's a great resource too. And both of those videos, one thing that we wanted to do, even though Kentucky doesn't have CWD, you know, we do have a CWD surveillance zone down in western Kentucky. So we wanted to make these videos fitting for those things. And uh, one of those, you know, in those CWD surveillance zones, um, you don't want to move the carcass or break the bone or spinal tissue if you can. So that was kind of a point of emphasis. So you break zero bones. You don't need to move the carcass. You don't break the spinal um, column. And you get all your meat home. And it's in really good shape. So... Those are, you know, kind of some of our highlights. But just know that if you follow those videos, then you're 100% good to go in the state of Kentucky as far as any CWD surveillance zone or not. And good deal. Yeah, I think they're good. I wanted to pitch that. And then the last thing is next Tuesday, so a week from tomorrow, September 27th, we're doing our fall hunting question and answer show. And so we'll be live on the Kentucky Field Facebook page at 7 o'clock. And we'll have biologists from wildlife, and we'll have a conservation officer, and we'll be taking questions live. Um, so you can just, you know, on the feed, on the live video, you can just ask your question, anything related to fall hunting, and we'll have our experts there uh, ready to answer it. That's next Tuesday, the 27th. And that's really about all I had that I wanted to touch on. We did just do the sturgeon sampling. That aired on this past weekend show. Or not sampling, but marking. Right, we're yeah. doing the tagging, yeah. Uh, yeah, do you call it tagging or marking? I, I, it's more of a mark because a, t a tag typically means we're inserting something that's attached yeah. to the fish. So this is more of a mark. Yeah, you're just cutting those scoots mm -hmm. off of them. And I, so I this went, is a mark. Yeah. I went back and looked at some of the sturgeon I caught, and I was wanting to see if I could see missing scoots. But I might be looking in the wrong spot or maybe the wrong side of the fish or something. Are those ones you caught below the lake? Mm -hmm. They might be coming up from Tennessee. So, so that's one of the wild cards right now. Is, is are, are we doing something to the to mark our fish the scoots is how we're marking our fish to differentiate them from what tennessee is stalking and then i think they were going to try to try to uh, put an, an actual t implant a tag in there to where it's kind of like they, where they microchip That's your dog right. where mm -hmm. you can scan that scan that fish later and it gives you their identification numbers yeah, so, so you know where they were stalked and came from what size they were when you implanted that tag so uh that was one thing they were doing one trying to just look at see if we get movement through the dam mm -hmm. and to see if those maybe if some of those fish below the dam 
RR fish or or more, more of them coming up out of Tennessee waters. So. Going over that, the sluice gates at Cumberland would be like riding a heck of a roller coaster mm-hmm. if you were a fish. 160 foot drop. I don't know. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know how they do it, but we get a lot of we get a lot of fish to move through dams, and I don't know how they survive it. Well, I plan to do. I mean, I did one a few years ago, but Rick really wants to paint a sturgeon mm-hmm. for the cover, so we may do a sturgeon update here next year. Sweet. Because uh, he's like, I've never painted a sturgeon, so I think a sturgeon on the cover of the magazine would be cool. Oh yeah. You guys got anything else you want to hit on? We've well, been speaking going for of a while. Rick. Anybody yeah. wants to see oh, his yeah. art? Uh, free. Go to the downtown Lexington Public Library. He's got, I think, fifty-three paintings on display. Uh, we had the opening Friday. We had enormous crowds. Uh, Jeff and the Salado crew brought the uh, the screech owl and the corn snake. Some people saw the corn snake, thought it was stuffed, and it moved. They took off running. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had to, a lot of people thought the the uh, screech owl was a stuffed too, and it didn't move its head, its eyes. They, <gasps> I mean, it was people just didn't know what to think of us. So. I saw the uh, I saw a lot on social media from that night. Oh, did you? Where at? From always oh, just mainly people from Salado. Oh, cool. Uh, but it looked like it was a really good time, and the exhibit looks great as they, far as how they have Rick's art displayed. They, they did a fabulous It's job. a nice little walkthrough exhibit. It's not like you're walking in and you're looking at stuff on a table. I mean, it's like a whole room <laughs> with, you know, different corridors, and, and it looks like pillars, and you got art hung all over the place. I think it's 50-something of, of— 53. 53 of, of— One of them's that cover right there, the original. Yeah, the the one of the falls. Yeah. No, and there's, there's a lot of really good art. I went to a meeting up front the other day, and uh, I noticed the walls were bare, just nails. Where we took all Rick's originals down, and so that's uh, that's something I'm going to make it a point to get out to, and that goes through November the thirteenth. November the thirteenth, and it's free. And where is it at again? It's at the Lexington Public Library, the downtown location. Downtown. Um, if if you're coming from, uh, you're going downtown, you know, West Main becomes Richmond Road. Take a left on Quality Street, which is where the KU building is, and then take a left. And go another block or so, look for the police department, right past the police department, that's where it is. And there's a public parking area, parking garage, right there. So yeah. you can park there, go down into the library, and, and go see the exhibit. That, that's something I'm going to make it a point to get out there and see before. So, I mean, I see Rick's originals all the time mm-hmm. here, but it's, uh, you know, seeing them in a nice exhibit like that and kind of on display. We had a bunch of posters, they're all gone. We had a bunch of magazines, they're all gone. People Good. kept coming up. Uh, how much to, are your posters? Like, well, they're free. Would you like the artist to sign them? Yes. Here you are. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're up, talking about how like much these, are your magazines. These they're ecosystem free. posters. Yeah, the, but he, yes. The, those went bam. And the fish book. People are wanting, how much is your fish book? It's free. <gasps> you know, so. Yeah, Rick's a great artist. Yeah, he is. I, I love his stuff. I'm going to go down there every time I go up front and see him paint something. It's pretty. And that, honestly, that cover right there on the, the fall 2021. Mm-hmm that we were talking about that's one of my favorites well and and he just did an elk that's coming out in the magazine being printed right now that i think may be one of his best ever he's really been on a roll man i just opened this up and it made me want to go fishing so bad (laughs) we had a that was a great day when we went oh man i had a ball that day and he and paul were like lee put your camera down and fish i was like well dude i'm here to get pictures Fish later. <laughs> See what we did here. I'm. Yeah, this is a look at that one. one. That's that's you yeah. caught that one though, didn't you? Yeah, that's you? the one I held. For some reason, they let Paul hold it for the picture, <laughs> and then they give me this little thing over here. <laughs> that's not fair. Hey, I didn't get to choose the pictures. I just yeah. took them. I'm just kidding. I've got a great video on my phone, Lee, of you from that day, and it was when you had caught a fish, and uh, I told you to come over. I was going to take a picture, and I still had my bait in the water, 
and I actually took a video of you, and you were holding your fish, and then when you were holding it, my rod went down, and so <laughs> Lee's holding his fish, and my drag's screaming. It's a, it was great. It's a good video. Yeah. Anyway, I'm looking forward to fall fishing. Um, I say we go ahead and call it quits today. We've been going for quite a while. So. David, we appreciate you, man. I know, yeah, we, I know we've got a tight schedule this week, and we had to do some wiggling, yeah. but we appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, get out there and sample some fish. Headed to Harrington now. Yeah. Let, me, yeah. Know, let me know how it looks, How are the man. hybrids doing at Harrington? They're doing good. We, so, stalk, we stalk them every year. I read so. the hybrid report two years ago or last year. You guys did a webinar, and it looked like Harrington had the best growth rates in the state or something like that, I believe. It's because the overabundance of threadfin oh. shad. The, it, <laughs> they're, all, can, they're all bite-sized. They just swim around with their mouth open, and they get gorged. Oh, my God, you can walk across them. Mm -hmm. I lived on that. My yeah. dad had a house on that lake for so, years. Yeah. And you, I mean, the, so, yeah, well, grow, our growth rates are phenomenal at Harrington. That's what I thought I remembered. It's great, great in yeah, Harrington. It, so. it kind of stands out of, above the rest. So it sounds like they're doing really good, Lee. Yes. Just right. got to go. No doubt. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Cool.